the title of today's message is The God Who Notices. Um, so I want to remind us, right, um, as we kind of look through our slides this morning and what God's teaching us, right? The book of Acts um, is all about the story of Jesus and it's the story of the disciples. I'm sorry, if you need a sermon notes, if you want to raise your hand, if you need sermon notes, raise your hand and the guys in the back will be happy to point those out. So I think we have a slide for that, Matthew. Um, the book of Acts is the story about the disciples receiving what Jesus received in order to do what Jesus did. So as we read through these next seven more weeks, I want to remind you week after week, this is a story about people receiving what Jesus received in order to do what he did. Because it's our story too. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants us to know that we can and we have received what Jesus received because we are called to do what Jesus did. Remember in John chapter 14, verse 12, what Jesus says to his disciples, right? And as an extension, he says this to you and I as his followers. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Why? Because I'm going to be with the Father. I'm going to the Father and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Last week, you need to, if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message um, because we talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit and how when we accept Christ into our life, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. He seals us. He marks us. He identifies us. You know, he calls us. He makes us God's own. Um, and he is a part of that life change transformation process that I was just talking about. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But throughout our lives, we talked last week that when we've invited Christ into our lives, if you're a Christ follower, there are moments where the Holy Spirit, and you read all throughout the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit comes and he fills us. Um, there are multiple times that this will happen throughout your life. Um, and I think of Ephesians 5.18, right? Where we talked about this last week. Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word filled is a, is, in Greek, it's a continuous action. doesn't just happen once. You are constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that begs the question, I want to answer for you, this is, this is free, it wasn't part of this week's message, but it should have been last week. Um, when you receive the Holy Spirit, and when you receive Christ in your life, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you, but yet it says that I have to constantly, continually be filled. Does that mean I don't get all the Holy Spirit when I invite Christ into my life? Because it sounds like it, it feels like it. Well, if you're saying, hey, Pastor, I have to continually be filled, do I not have all the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is emphatically, you do have all the Holy Spirit. You have all the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to have. Herschel's a good friend of mine right here. Herschel's been coming just for a while now. We've gotten to talk and we know one another. And Herschel loves Jesus and is following Jesus. And when he invited Christ into his life, the Holy Spirit came and dwelled in him. And all that the Holy Spirit, all that, that um, Herschel's ever going to give the Holy Spirit, he got the moment he accepted Christ in his life. But why does the Bible say that you have to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit? You get more? No, you don't get more. But what happens is the Holy Spirit gets more of you. There are moments in my life where I take control and I don't surrender things to God and I take back control, whether it's my finances, whether it's my relationships, whether it's something's going on at work, whatever. And I take things and I hold on to them. And I say, no, God, you can't have this. I might not do it consciously. I might not be super aware of it, but that's what I do. And I grab hold of things in my life. And there are moments that I have to step back and realize and say, God, would you take back control? I want to surrender my life to you again in this area. And I lift up my arms, my hands, whatever, and I put myself in that position, and I say, God, I surrender. And at that moment, I, Holy Spirit, would you come in? Would you fill me again this day? 
And that's what happens. That's when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's those moments when you surrender yourself to God. So that's what happens. So the, uh, Luke is writing this, this gospel or this, this, this uh, epistle, this letter, right? Um, and it's a follow-up to the Gospel of Luke. And remember last week we said Luke is writing this to a guy named Theopolis, and he's documenting for him. He wants him to be sure, and he wants him to be solid in his faith. The things that he was taught, he was going to say, hey, these are how things happen. The things that you were taught, I'm documenting for these for you. I'm telling you so you can be solid in your faith. And he begins to write about all the things that the followers of Jesus Christ began to do and teach as an extension of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, um, he's going to talk about what, you know, what a New Testament church looks like. Now, these are not on your notes. If you want to write these down, you can. There's 12 characteristics, and I don't want to spend any time on these other than mention them for you. Because I don't care whether you go to North Point or whether you go to some other church. But whatever church you go to, you should look for characteristics and say, does my church have these characteristics? Because if it doesn't, that's not the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And there's going to be 12 of them here. I'm just going to highlight them for you and then move on this morning. But it's important. These are multiple messages that could be just over this passage. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, starting in verse 42, says, All the believers, uh, again, Luke is writing about what's going on. He says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Now, I want you to notice three things before we move this slide. I want you to notice three characteristics that we see right here. New Testament churches, Bible-believing churches, are filled with people who are disciples, people who are devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to Scripture. They are disciples. They are learned followers of Jesus. You want to go someplace and be surrounded by people who are committed and devoted to learning about Jesus Christ, studying God's Word, having it ingrained in their life, thinking and meditating upon it. Right? That's the kind of church that you want to go to. Secondly, you want to go to a church where people, if you can go back to that, Matthew, if you, want to, you want to go to a church where people are committed to fellowship. Notice it says that they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to gathering together with other Christ-like believers. Now, I'm not talking about going to, you know, the bar down the street. I'm saying, hey, where you are gathering together with other people who follow Jesus Christ. Because we say, right, that life change happens best in relationships. So you better be filled with the church. You know, there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. If you're not in a life group, and I don't care, you don't necessarily have to be involved in a life group that's a part of North Point. Uh, I know they're going to hate for me calling them, but Jason and Danielle are good friends of mine over here to my left, and they lead um, something called F3 and FIA. Jason leads the guys and Danielle leads the girls. And they, they don't get together with necessary people in North Point, but there are lots of people in the community who are Christ followers and they gather together and they talk about Jesus Christ. And that's amazing that they do that. We, I encourage them to do that because they're doing what Scripture says. They're gathering together with other believers for fellowship, to encourage, sometimes to kick one another in the butt, sometimes to support one another. That's what a New Testament church looks like. Also, the third thing that you notice is that it says they gather together to pray. You want to be a part of a church where people are committed to prayer. They're people of prayer, right? And that's one of our values, that we want to be a church that's filled, that we pray continuously. Matter of fact, some of, us, some of the staff and a couple other people are reading a book right now. It's called A Praying Life by Paul E. Miller. 
And so our hope is that we're going to read this book and we're praying about, God, you lead us to share this book with the church and to take our church truths because we want to be a church that's filled with people who pray. Number four, Acts chapter, 40, or chapter 2, verse 43. Paul, can, or excuse me, Luke continues on. He's talking about this New Testament church. He says, the church that had a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they have. Number four, five, and six. Then I notice here, you want to be a ch- part of a church that where people have an awe or a deep reverence for God. Right, where people honor God and they have a reverence for God, where they're just not taking things just so casually and haphazardly, but they're serious about worshiping. They're serious about honoring God. Um, you want to be a char- part of a church that's filled with people who are witnesses to miraculous signs and wonders. You know, I mean, who doesn't want to be? Like, those are things that we should be praying for. Like, God, I want to be a part of a church where there's an awe and there's a reverence for you, where signs and wonders, miracles are taking place. People's lives are being changed and transformed. Sometimes supernaturally, sometimes it seems more natural, but people's lives are changing. You know, I shared this with the first service. You know, uh, about a, I don't know, a year or two ago, there was a church out in California where there was a worship pastor, and the worship pastor had a two-year-old daughter, and she died suddenly. And, you know, that church um, prayed, I don't know if it was a week or two weeks, like the whole church prayed that God would raise this little girl from the dead. Now, it didn't happen. Was it wrong for them to pray that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. It didn't happen, but they were praying for the miraculous. And sometimes, I don't know why, but God in his sovereignty, he moves and the miraculous happens in the way that we expect. And sometimes it's not always the way they expect or the way that we expect, but we still continue to have faith and trust and believe in God. So we want to be a church that's filled with signs and wonders, number five. Number six, um, they shared with one another in need. It says that they shared everything that they had, right? We want to be a part of a church that's filled with people who are willing to share what they have with others in need. Um, Not just within our community, but even outside of our community. Going on in verse 45, it says they sold their property and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. Again, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. You know, notice number seven, it says that they worshiped together regularly. It says daily, daily they would go to the temple. Daily they would go to one another's homes and share and worship and encourage one another. That's the kind of church that we want to be a part of. That people are not lone rangers. That they want to be here to encourage one another. They want to meet in homes with one another to encourage one another. They worshiped together regularly, number seven. Number eight, it says that they were joyful, right? They were, number nine, they were generous. Um, again, number 10, they met in the temple and they met in homes. We talk a lot about life groups, right? We say that's, that's foundational to who we are as a church. Verse 47 says, all the while they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And they had the respect of the community around them. That's one of the things I'm thankful for about North Point. Is that, you know, again, Debbie and I have been here for 20 years along with our kids and a lot of you guys. And, you know, I think we, we have favor with our community. Um, God has given us favor. That's why we're able to go into really any of these elementary schools that we want to around our community and to work alongside them because God has given us favor. People respect the people of North Point because they know that we love them, we care about them with no strings attached. 
And lastly, again, it says that they grew in number of those who came to follow Jesus Christ. Those are 12 characteristics of what a church that you want to go to and you want to be a part of. So Acts chapter 3, we're going to spend the last little bit of time today on. All of a sudden, again, Luke is writing this, and he says, hey, this is what a New Testament church looks like. This is what was going on. And then he's going to um, almost like paint a picture of this is how it happens. This is an example of this. And we read the following words. Luke is recording this. He says, Peter and John, two of the disciples, went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. They didn't go to the temple on a daily basis to make sacrifices, what all the rest of the Jews did, because they knew they don't have to do that anymore. Jesus is our sacrifice. But they would go to the temple and they would spend time in God's presence. They would go to the temple and pray. It was a part of their habit, part of their routine, part of what they did. They went to the temple at 3 o'clock for their 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Now we know from Acts chapter 4, verse 22, that this guy had been crippled for 40 years. Essentially his whole life he had been crippled. He would be carried to the temple, and, and he knew that when he was carried to the, one of the, there was nine different gates that would go into the temple, and he knew that when a good Jew would, would, would throw alms, would throw coins to this guy, and that's how he was supported, and, you know, you're supposed to be generous, and so that's what, you know, he would go there because he knew people were generous there. And, and hopefully, I was just thinking about this this past week, and hopefully this is not, um, doesn't, it's not inappropriate, but, you know, I was thinking, you know, it re- kind of reminds me a little bit about, um, about Chick-fil-A, I don't know why, but over the last year or so, I've noticed that people, you know, uh, on Secor and over on Talmadge, they go to Chick-fil-A, and a lot of times those people, are, they're standing there, and, you know, they're, at, they're asking for money. I've never noticed somebody at McDonald's doing that. I've never noticed somebody at Wendy's or any, but for whatever reason, it's like, oh, go to Chick-fil-A. Those are generous people. Okay, I thought, anyway, so <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so I noticed that, and, and so that's kind of, you know, what's going on. This guy's there. You know, he knows that a good Jew is going to throw coins in. Um, it says, as, again, as they, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. I highlighted when he saw Peter and John about to enter. Because what stood out to me is that Peter and John saw the guy, they had probably seen the guy thousands of times, and they were on their way into the temple. And I'm not sure if they even noticed him. They were going into the temple. They weren't going to stop. They weren't going to say anything to this guy. It says that they were about to enter the temple. And he asked them for money. I wonder how often we were on our way to do our religious thing, or we're on our way to serve God in some way, and There's an obvious need in front of us, and we miss the opportunity. They were going to walk on by. Sometimes we're so preoccupied, I think, with God's work that we miss the appointments that are right in front of us. This beggar asks them to meet the obvious need in his life. I think there there are oftentimes Acts 1, 8 opportunities in front of us around us all the time, if we will just take time to stop and listen. This guy has to call out to them 
And they had to make the choice. It was an opportunity. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. And this was an opportunity. The Holy Spirit's power was on them and it was an opportunity for them to be a witness, not to themselves, but to Jesus Christ. And there are Acts 1.8 opportunities around us all the time if we'll just take time to stop and listen. God notices those moments. And I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you see people differently this upcoming week. For, you, for him to give you the patience and the eyes. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, 18, talks, Paul Rice talks about the eyes of my heart being enlightened that I might see. And I want to ask you to pray. And say, Holy Spirit, would you help me see people differently this coming week? Would you help me not to miss Acts 1-8 opportunities? Because I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to be a witness for you. Verse 4 says, Peter and John looked at him intently. They gave him their full attention. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. I'll give you what I have. You know, Peter had been cultivating, spending time in God's presence. And so he had something to offer this man. And I wonder how often that we don't feel like we have anything to give to other people because we haven't been spending time in God's presence. We haven't been cultivating our relationship. So we don't think or even feel like we have anything to give. Peter and John saw something beyond the physical need. They saw a spiritual need. So often I think we miss our opportunities because we've been so preoccupied, whatever, and we haven't been spending time in God's presence. I wrote in my notes there, Peter was willing to pray for this man because of who he had inside of him. He was willing to pray for this man because of who he had inside of him. A guy named Pascal was a French theologian. He was actually a mathematician who was also a theologian. And he said this, he said, do little things as if they were great. Because of the majesty and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ who dwells in thee. And do great things as if they were little and easy because of his omnipotence. The all-powerfulness of God. Peter was willing and able to pray for this man because of who he had inside of him. He knew the power of the Holy Spirit within him. Acts 3 goes on and says, Peter says in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, not in my name, but in the authority of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. The man jumped up and he stood on his feet and he began to walk. And then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. It's interesting here in in this story that he was healed, but it wasn't necessarily the faith of the beggar that healed him. Ever noticed that? The beggar was asking for money, and Peter and John are like, yeah, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And it was faith that we'll learn later on, but it wasn't the faith of the beggar. It was the faith of Peter and John. I think it's Matthew chapter 8. 
tells us a story about a centurion, this Roman soldier who comes to Jesus and he comes on behalf of his servant. And basically, long story short is this, you can read about it. The servant gets healed, but it's not because of the faith of the servant, it's the faith of this Roman soldier on behalf or for this servant. I don't think it was the beggar's faith that he got healed. I think it was Peter and John's faith that God used their faith to bring healing in this guy's life. Now, does that always mean if someone doesn't get healed, it's a lack of faith? No, I don't believe that's what it means. But faith is tied to healing. You know, it's it's, it's trusting God's sovereignty. God, I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to ask for this. And then I'm going to trust you with whatever you do with this. I trust you, God with what you want to do with this. Notice it also says that he went to the temple with them. It's not like Peter and John prayed for this guy, he got healed, and then that was it, and they just left the guy. He continued to walk in with them and associate with them. Says all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God, and when they realized he was a lame beggar, they had seen so often, 40 years at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. In the notes that people take notice of God's transformation, his transforming work in other people. People take notice. The natural, obviously, response of this guy was to praise God. People took notice. You know, we, le- we learn in Acts chapter 4 that 5,000 men, so thousands more people, came to know Jesus Christ because they saw and they witnessed this life transformation take place in this person's life. This story reminds me, um, uh, Pastor Lee Powell had started Cedar Creek Church like, I don't know, it was like probably 25 or, no, like 30 years ago. And um, he's no longer uh, here in Slido, but he retired uh, several years ago. But I remember probably 18 years ago, I was me, we were talking one day, and he was telling me the story about a person in our community. Some of you would know this story, but a person in our community who lots of people in Toledo know this person. And this person wasn't following Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, was far from us, very cynical and wasn't following Jesus. But this person had heard about Cedar Creek and actually ends up going to Cedar Creek and commits their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. And drastic change took place. And this person could not stop talking about Jesus Christ. And they called it a certain, they used the name of the person, but I don't have, I haven't spoken to these guys, so I'm not going to, but what's called the person Jack. And they, at the church, they called it the Jack effect. Because the church had been growing steadily, just, you know, little bit by little bit. And all of a sudden, Jack comes to know Jesus Christ. And it was like everybody heard about it. And Cedar Creek just exploded in growth after Jack came to know Jesus Christ. It was this miracle. Everybody took notice of this. And there are these divine appointments. There's divine opportunities all around us all the time. But so often we're so preoccupied and busy doing our own thing. Or we're not, you know, we don't, um, it's like, oh, God, I don't think that you want to use me that way. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah said, here am I, God, send me. And I think God is just looking for people who are willing to be used in that kind of a way for him. Will you begin to notice people this upcoming week, how God might want to use you? Acts 3.11 says they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, this meeting place in the temple area where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd. 
This is one of those elevator moments. You ever been in an elevator and you think, oh, man, I wish I could say something. Or, oh, man, I'm glad no one's saying anything, right? It's this captive audience. It was an elevator moment. And Peter knew this was his opportunity to address everybody that was right there listening to him. God does a miracle. And Peter saw that opportunity and moved upon it. Oftentimes, I think we miss those opportunities. 316, skipping down a few verses, Peter says, Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. And I submit to you that it was the faith of Peter and John. It wasn't even the faith of this guy. He was looking for money. We see in Scripture that oftentimes that God moves on behalf of somebody else because of someone else's faith. 319, Peter's speaking to this crowd of people that have gathered. He says, now repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he again will send you, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. John Stott was a famous uh, theologian and pastor and he was talking about repentance and he said this, Repentance is admitting that what God says is true, and because it is true, there's a change in my mind about my sin and often about our Savior. Repentance. God, I believe what your word says is true. And so there's a change in my mind, there's a change in my actions, my outcome, my behavior about that sin in my life. I wrote our last point in our notes that for the weary... And for the worn out, times of refreshing comes when I repent, I turn away from my sin, and I turn to God when I repent of my sins and I spend time in God's presence. We see this with the disciples. We see this with the crowds, what Peter says. If you found yourself weary, if you found yourself worn out, if you found yourself burnt out, it's probably a sin issue in your life. God, would you reveal that in my life that I need to confess and acknowledge and turn away from that and turn to you? Acts 4 says many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So there's thousands more outside just the men. Acts 4.12 says there's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Of course, Peter gets that from John chapter 14 where Jesus says the same thing. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You know, um, I, don't, you know I don't like to be put on the spot. I don't like to be, I mean, it's, you might think, oh, what are you talking about? You're up here speaking every week. But I really don't. I really don't. That's why I didn't like, you know, I appreciate it. That was very generous of, all, of you guys and Paul and, and Steve and Randy, you know, the, for all that. But um, I don't, I, don't, I don't like surprises. I don't like things like that, you know, because I just don't like to be put on the spot. You know, this last week, many of you might know that, um, that I was asked to do the funeral for the police officer, Officer Brandon Stryker, who passed away. And it was a Monday, and I was meeting with a couple from our church, and, and my phone was blowing up during this meeting. And I get out of the meeting, I see all these missed calls, and you know, I'm like, what's going on here? So I call one person back, and they're like, hey, they told me what happened. And, 
that it was a girl in our church. Her name's Crystal. She was at first service, and it was Crystal's brother. And I thought, oh, man. You know, I try to get a hold of Crystal. Can't get a hold of Crystal. And I go home on Monday night, and I knew when I got home, I told Debbie, I said, that was Crystal's brother, the police officer, and, I'm, and Crystal's going to ask me to do the funeral. And Debbie's like, oh, that's what a great opportunity that is. What a great blessing. And honestly, you guys, you know, and, and those of you watching online, don't write me nasty notes, but, you know, I hate doing funerals. And I hate doing funerals because I just, I, I hate seeing people in pain. It's just so, you know, hard, you know, when people are grieving and seeing people in pain, I just, it's hard. You know, I don't like seeing people hurting. Who does, right? You know, I cry when, you know, one of my dogs hurts their foot or something. It's just, you know, it's terrible. You know, so, so my, of course, Tuesday comes around, Crystal calls me, and, and I'm like, of course, Crystal, I'll do the funeral. But inside, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do the funeral. But I knew it was an opportunity, Right? And I knew I was responsible. Like, God had given me this opportunity. Now, there would be thousands of people whose heart, it was a moment where I could share about Jesus Christ with people. Now, some of those people might, I, I would never have that, ever have that kind of an opportunity. And so that week, you know, I felt like God had laid a couple things upon my heart that week. And, you know, sure enough, I mean, the, the funeral comes around and, 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 you know, and it was a great opportunity. But it was really, really hard. And, um, you know, it was just my prayer that God had, would use me and seeds would be planted and people would come to know Christ. And, you know, and that's the best that I, that's all I can do is just trust God with results. But I, I, I'm not kidding you. I, I, and Crystal knows this because I'm not saying anything. I mean, when she got asked, I didn't want to do that. That's the last thing I wanted to do was a funeral for 5,000 people. Like, who wants to do that kind of a thing? I knew. I had a responsibility and an opportunity, you know, and people were hurting, you know, and God notices those moments. And there are people that you have in your life right now, I'm confident that's at your work, that's where you go to school, that's in your neighborhood. And God's asking, will you be the one that will stand up? Because you believe that the Holy Spirit, those acts, that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, and life change will take place in the hearts and lives of people around you. I mean, don't you want to be filled with the church with people who say, yeah, God, here am I, send me, right? So I'm asking you this week, on a daily basis, say, God, would you show me people around me that I have an opportunity to minister to, to speak on your behalf? To people around me. It might be when you show up on a job. That's the last thing you expected. But would you look for those opportunities to share Christ with people around you this week? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you once again so much for um, our church family. Thank you for the good work that you're doing in us and through us. Thank you for the privilege of serving alongside of and pastoring this incredible group of people. Father, we, um, we ask that you would open up our eyes this week and help us not to miss opportunities all around us, these divine encounters, and notice those that are hurting. And then have the faith to step out and to speak into their lives and to share you, Jesus, with people around us. God, may we come back next week and may we report the good things that are taking place. 
Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.